listening to Be Heads podcast. Um, I hope you had a good fortnight. Um, so the next episode that we're going to be talking about today is autism in women um, and why it's slightly different. So I think where I should really start is not explaining what autism is for those you who don't fully understand. So autism is a lifelong condition. It's an often declared a developmental condition, which is not a learning disability but around half of the autistic people may also have a disability. And it can affect social communication, sensory processing, and a variety of other different things. Um, so we, it's, it's quite misunderstood in many aspects. Um, there was myths for a while that it was caused by the MMR vaccine, which has been disproven even by the guy that came out and said it in the first place. Um, that it's bad parenting, that it's that we're softer these days, and a variety of other different things. But autism in women is slightly different. There are differences when looking at it from men to women. And the studies show that women are underdiagnosed because we're very good at camouflaging or masking, whichever term you choose. And the latest rate, there's been various ratios from 16 to 1 to 1, 2 to 1, but the most recent diagnosis to male to female is that for every three men or boys that are diagnosed with autism there is one woman but recent studies also show that that's actually a one-to-one -one ratio in reality diagnosed or not so it's very difficult and it, it's hard to explain because we camouflage and we mask so well Women are often diagnosed later. Um, for me, I was 18. And it's for a variety of different reasons that is. So I have kind of gathered a little checklist um, about autism in women and, oh, computer, getting a bit haywire. Um, and it's kind of things that would suggest that a female is autistic. So firstly, we'll start off, I've kind of broken it into sections a little bit. So social communication, human interaction symptoms, resistance to touch. This, yeah, I'm, I'm not very good when people touch me. Uh, there, there are exceptions, like I let my mum and touch me, fine, dog, fine. Strangers, like hugging, I don't, I don't understand. I, I genuinely don't get it. It just baffles my brain. Um, it's It's almost like, it's a fear response for me a little bit because it's like that that means you're right into my personal space there's no break between me and you and i like to keep people just a little bit further away having a preference to spend a lot of time alone now one of my things is when i'm really struggling mentally is i withdraw but in a way being alone is kind of the very few times where I don't feel like I have to or that I need to mask because in my own little bubble brackets this house I don't have to pretend to be neurotypical I don't have to suppress my stims I don't have to not fidget with fidgets I don't have to apply filter in what I say being alone is kind of comforting in that respect because I get to be me without pressure or thought of being misunderstood elsewhere which is a little bit difficult for most people to understand. An inability to start a conversation, oh, I 
So I learned recently that um, it's not normal to script conversations in your head. I, I didn't know this. I, I, it's an autistic trait. I didn't know that for me, when I have a difficult conversation I need to have or a conversation that I know I've got to have, I script it. Um, and in a way, I kind of have a variety of scripts for everyday conversations. So it's like, hi, how are you? And it's almost so I know what I need to say next. Because just going up to someone sometimes is really overwhelming. And it's just like, well, what are they going to ask me? But then I'm really good at a networking situation. So maybe my scripting works. I don't know. Um, I quite often say with my assistant, so Ben, he is my fail safe. Because if I need to talk, although it's not nowhere near his primary task he enables me to say oh, oh what's it all for easy start of a conversation the next one the next one trouble recognizing social cues non-verbal forms of communication now i've written a blog i've got a blog post planned for next time that's communication it's not just words but to give you the statistics on that seven percent so imagine you've got a pie chart you've got 100 percent only 7% of that pie chart is the physical words that come out of a person's mouth. And it's something like 38% is the tone and voice that the individual has used. And 55% is body language. And this blows my mind because to me, you may as well just be talking 100% what people say. Because like, if someone's body language and social tone and words don't match, I can't tell. Honestly, I genuinely cannot tell. And it can cause quite a lot of problems, like non-verbal cues of someone looks quite pissed off. Well, then you need to leave him alone. I can't see that necessarily, unless I know you really well. And that can cause a lot of problems. A lot of them. Trouble in that respect is often suppressed by masking because we mirror what other people are doing around us. It gets to the point like, we've we've learned it but it's uncomfortable we don't fully understand why we're talking here and when we're not talking there but we do understand that we need to talk and it becomes a learned behavior this is when i need to speak this is that this is that this is that but it quite often doesn't actually make sense to us it doesn't make sense to me still doesn't um talking excessively but about a select subject even though others are non-responsive this one this one this one this one so with autism you tend to have a forget the word to explain it but i call it my specialism um and you can have more than one i have business which is my degree um neurodiversity is a big one for me but also dogs i will talk about dogs all day every day to anyone no matter if you're listening or not i will talk to you about assistance dog dogs labradors spaniels Oh, you, you, you set me off on like a train. Once it's left, the you can't call it back. Um, It's quite hard because my mom says, not everyone wants to hear about this. It's like, but everyone should. It's interesting. And I was like, no, it's interesting to you. It's not necessarily interesting to everybody else. So yeah, that's it. It's quite often a telltale um, about that because it's often that one thing that we don't need to mask with. We're just like, oh, to say yay and bolt um i do it quite a lot and i quite often just get it, it, the easiest way to get me to stop is just to tell me to shut up as bluntly as that is 
Um, and finally, in this like social communication section, we've got a reduced ability to express emotion. Now, for the longest time, and I, th I think I actually classed up until I went to therapy, I didn't know really what emotion was. I could tell you I felt good or I felt bad, so I was sad or happy. And th th there was no intermediate in that. I think to be fair, there still isn't. But I thought you were only happy or you were sad and there was no in-between in that. And you were one thing or the other. You couldn't be multiple things at once. You can be. Like, that. That that is one of those things. It's just what it is. And I think for the longest time, I didn't recognise emotion because I didn't understand when people said, I feel anxious. And I'm like, what's, what's that? And then someone explained the symptoms of anxiety to me. And it was like, physical sensations of like feeling your heart beating your fingers your heart bounding out your chest it's like oh that's anxiety i just call it that thing because to me it didn't have names i one of the major things i had to learn as part of emotional intelligence was what emotions were and that i may feel them psychologically but i don't notice them they affect me physically more and it's learning that balancing act between one and the other and expressing that emotion in a healthy way is often quite problematic and for me i know i when i couldn't express my emotions my feelings stuff that happened to me i'd melt down every day shut down meltdown screaming hitting kicking walls losing my temper and i don't i wasn't and that it's often that that last thing of not knowing how to express ability emotions which leads to diagnosis because it's often that one thing that tips you over the edge. So for me, I was I was in the grips of depression, which I now also know was linked to PTSD. And I was, I couldn't express how I felt or what had happened to me. I, I didn't have the words. I didn't have the vocab. And nor did I think anyone would care. And that ability makes you feel really alone. And it's often that last thing that makes someone go, is this normal? Or someone says, you don't express emotion or you express too much emotion or, you, or, you, or you're none of them. And that is often the, the thing that really hurts because we're often deemed like emotional robots. We don't feel, we just carry on regardless. And I'm, I'm the worst for this because I can carry on. I can get up and carry on and no matter how bad of a day I've had, no matter how bad of a week I've had, no matter how bad of a month or semester as it might be at the moment, um it's oh you're fine you just carry on and that's because it's 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 hardwired into my brain to just keep going because i don't feel like i have any other choice so yes so the next kind of break away from that is the behavioral symptoms of autism in women and this isn't really a it's not indicative of just for women but it is kind of i'm just looking for a fidget so i can show you um it's one of those things that people don't understand very well i think my other one must be my back but um so i have i thought i'm gonna get it one second because it's my new favorite fidget this on youtube you'll have to see what i'm about to show you i have two fidgets in my hand one's called a fidget cube 
You can get these at all sorts of places, Amazon, Home Bargains, B&M. Um, and it's a little four-sided cube that, and I should probably say this is about repetitive motion. Um, often people with autism, we stim, and often that can be flapping hands, um, swaying back and forth, tapping a leg. And sometimes these things can be deemed disruptive which annoys me if we let kids stim in classrooms i'm sure we wouldn't have as many behavior problems as we do so this is a fidget cube if you're watching um so it's a little plastic cube it's got four very sides one's got like a light switch on it one's got like this little go stick that you kind of push back and forth um you've got this bit that you kind of wind around and buttons and it's got different textures on it and it's designed to literally use as a repetitive motion and fidget so you don't outwardly stim. And these are quite good in classrooms because it suppress it doesn't suppress, but it allows you to let out your fidgeting energy without going overboard with that. But this is my current favourite, this one I picked up at the works the other day. This is called an Infinity Cube and it's basically eight plastic boxes connected together. And if you're watching on the video, you can see what I'm doing. You can literally fold it over and over and over again. And the repetitive motion of this folding is, it's therapeutic. I, it's actually addictive. The amount of times I've fidgeted with this in a lecture this week, I'm not going to carry on fidgeting with it in case it messes with the audio. But an infinity cube, it's a godsend for me because it allows me to do something with my fingers so my brain can focus. So yeah, I'm going to put that over there before I mess up the audio of this podcast. Um, so yeah, the repetitive motions, and it's one of the things I used to do when I was little, and it was, would you just stop doing that? Well, I didn't even notice I was doing it more often than not. Um, the development of personalised rituals and routines. Oh, routine. Oh, how I love routine. Um, I've never said this before. I'm glad it's reading week for me next, starting tomorrow. Yeah, I'm working open day tomorrow, so um, I have my routines. I like my routines. I don't like breaking those routines. Never have done, never will do. <laughs> so like at school, it stuck in my mum's mind when I was having my assessment, the days that were off timetable for whatever reason. So at my school, I used to go to church once a, some, once a half term. Was it half term or term? Half term. And it would be on a Wednesday. And she always knew when it was coming because I get really antsy about it. And so in my school, we had these times irrelevant. Well, it's not irrelevant, but anyway. So we'd have assembly or form time in the morning. And then we'd have lesson one, lesson two, 15 minute break. Lesson three, lesson four, an hour break. Five, shorter lesson six, home time. And when it was a church day, it was lesson registration church which was a longer assembly so we'd have lesson one then we'd have a 10 minute break and then we'd have lesson two three four see the problem lunch five six as normal and then we'd go home and the, the i really didn't like it it was it just it was too much and it wasn't what i was used to and i didn't like it very much and other days that used to annoy the hell out of me sports day why I'm not sporty. I can fall over walking on a flat piece of concrete. So, you know, it, it, no. And other stupid things like the first day of term. People normally get excited about the first day of term. I liked the thought of going back to school to the routine. Hated the first day of term. Not 
like Easter and summer, it was the first weekday in, sep in September because you've one, two, three, four, five, six, we'd have form time, assembly, year assembly at some point, but form time till lunch, sorting out the like paperworky stuff and expectations and all the stuff that was still the same from the year before. I could have told you that. I, I hated it. It was, just, it was just not what I expected and I really didn't like it. Other days like that, just, my mum used to know, if she saw it on the school bulletin, just used to know she was going to get me in a bad mood when I got home. And these routines are often a sense of stability for a neurodivergent person, especially in school. It's like, we know what's going to happen next. There's no guessing. Yeah. Fixating on certain activities or objects. Um, This one, I, I don't know whether I do. Maybe I do. I don't know. Um, but it is literally you're obsessed with this one thing and quite often it's clothing as well you um you only wear certain clothes I'm wearing new clothes today that that's unheard of well it's not but I'm not I, I tend to have x outfits and they're sensory friendly and I like them and I wear them until I get in holes and I get told I have to bin them but fixating on certain things I often do it in an environment if I'm looking at something and the, let's just say the paint's not even in one area or the light's different and I will just fixate on it because it's annoying. Um, it, it's just how I am. I, it, it's insane. Things like um, the door moving in my eye line I can't be doing with. Um, and I'll just fixate on it till it stops. Or I have to get up and stop it from doing whatever it's doing so that I can carry on. So yeah. Um, so there's two more that I need to talk about. Having food aversions or food preferences, especially in relation to texture. Now, for me, food wasn't really one thing I was very picky over. There are a few things that I just won't eat because the texture's like... I, I, it's hard to explain what a sensory aversion is to a neurotypical person because, like, most people understand this one. Nails down a chalkboard. Sorry, just thinking about it. It, that's a sensory aversion and most people don't like that or forks across a plate <laughs> but for people with autism these are like magnified so the slightest thing like um what was one I figured the other day that really annoyed me where was I that was one um the lights in one of the rooms that I, I go in quite often changed and it and it was changed from a nice kind of bright enough light to an overly bright, different coloured light. And there's different colours of light, yellow, white, blah. and anyway, can't stand it. I, I genuinely, it's so uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, please. Um, so that it's all these little things like the most of the ones people understand is like the nails and stuff. But that's for multiple different things constantly. And this one, this one is the, the tip of what links into what my previous statement was. Experience light and sound more powerfully than others. So quite often you will see me with uh, noise cancelling headphones, more or less constantly, or loop earplugs. They're a godsend. Um, they're little plastic earplugs, almost like with the old fashioned um, headphone tip on them. In fact, I have some over here. This is what I call my sensory toolkit I keep on my desk. If you're watching on video, you'll be able to see. Um, so that's timers and all sorts of sensory things. 
But these are looper earplugs. If you, they come in these little pots, um, and I'll show you what they look like. So they do a set that are particularly for neurodivergent people. Um, they're designed with us in mind, and these are called the loop engage. I don't know whether I can get you to see this or not. Let me try. Um, this is called a loop engage earplug, and they help reduce. I think it's up to thirty-eight decibel of what you're listening to. So these are godsend. I use them at university to block out what other people are saying, so I can hear through just the lecturer. They're amazing, and honestly, if they're called loop, I will tag them. I will leave a link to them under this video and under this in a web, but they come in these little cases. They're amazing. And for me, with light, I have tinted glasses. They're in my car at the moment, but the way I was taught to explain this to people is that with an autistic brain, you tend to feel things 10 times harder than a neurotypical person. So I like to, when I'm delivering a training, I like to say, okay, just for a minute, imagine every light is 10 times brighter every texture is 10 times that on your skin. Every sound is 10 times louder. And it, people are like, how long would it take you to get overwhelmed? And quite a lot of people say, not very long at all. And I'm like, yeah. well, that's how I feel all day, every day. So we're kind of, that's kind of the major traits of autism, particularly in women. But we have a major one and it's called autistic masking. And I am very good at autistic masking. I will admit it. I am very good at it and I have a love-hate relationship with it because it it allows me to do so much but it's also exhausting so to mask or to camouflage means to hide or disguise parts of yourself in order to fit in better with those around you it is an unconscious strategy so I do it without knowing all humans develop especially on the spectrum whilst growing up in order to connect and connect with those around us. So <laughs> I made a TikTok the other day, it's like that buffering sign. I call it the circle of doom when you're trying to load something. Um, and it's when I tell someone I can mask without knowing. Uh, um, it, it's a lesson I'm slowly trying to unlearn to mask, but I'm not, a sh it, controversially, I'm glad that I can mask because it allows me to do certain things that I won't be able to do otherwise but it's a double-edged sword it enables me to mm, but the drawback is every reaction has an e every action has an equal reaction so masking's benefit is it does make me fit in it makes me hide how vulnerable i am sometimes and it's a coping mechanism for living in a neurotypical world it allows me to network it allows me to hold a conversation with people that i can't normally hold a conversation with but the downside of that is it's the opposite being it's exhausting. It takes so much energy. My mum used to wonder why I was always tired when I got home from school. We now understand why. Um, people don't know me as any different than my mask. So when I unmask, they're like, who the hell is this? And it's draining on your mental well-being. It's, I had to say, I, when I got my autism diagnosis, I felt like I had to grieve who I was. Or who I thought I was because who I thought I was was my mask and that's still a lesson three years on that I'm still learning and I will learn every single day but what I really want to make people aware of is that if someone feels comfortable enough to let that guard down a little bit let them it'll do the most amazing things 
because you will understand that person 10 times better but you will also understand that they are when they are overwhelmed and when they are overstimulated and when they need a friend because quite often with my autism is I can mask so well but no one can tell that I'm struggling so yeah autism and women it's it's a complicated issue and things are changing but we're a long way to go but be mindful of that friend who can carry on regardless because sometimes they might just need a friend to cry to but they don't know how to start that conversation so i'm rebecca i'm an autistic and dyslexic person and i'm proud of that and i wouldn't have it any other way so i hope you all have a good weekend and i will speak to you all soon um and be true to who you are and be proud of that because that will change your life. So I'll speak to you guys soon. Bye.